All right, everybody, thanks so much for being here. Man, thanks so much not only for being here, but for the way that you have been uh, worshiping. We welcome everybody that's online as well, all of our church family uh, that's watching from home or if you're at the beach or in a cabin, wherever it is that maybe you've tried to get away from 2020, as was just talked about. Whatever you're doing, hey, we are so glad that you have made us part of, of your day. We just appreciate you being here very much. And uh, we just hope everybody has a great rest of your day. Have a great week. Um, you know, it, it's, um, it's interesting. You know, we did talk about the whole political thing last week. And it's interesting how really nothing has changed as of today except your attitude. You ever think about that? Whether you're up or down, right? Really, the only thing that's changed so far is your attitude. And so it's just a reminder of the way that we look at things. And it's why we're talking about heaven. It's why we've been talking about heaven for the last few weeks, trying to refocus our attitude and refocus our heart, refocus our soul. And so we're going to dive back into the home for the soul again today. And if this is your first time with us at East Brainerd, if, if you are new to our midst, again, we are so glad that you are here. And um, I want you to know, I want everybody to know that uh, today's lesson, I mean, we're, we're in lesson nine of this series, and so there's a lot that's come already before this, and we're going to get into some weeds today, all right? And I don't want you to get lost in the weeds. Uh, hang with me until the end. If you can hang with me through the end, I promise there's going to be um, uh, there's going to be somebody that will rescue you. Okay, we'll get the weed eaters out, we'll clear everything away, and you will understand kind of where we're at and what we are what we're doing. So I want you to hang with me. Uh, now recently there was a distraught wife that went to a local police station with her next door neighbor because the wife needed to report the fact that her husband was missing. And so she goes and she files a report with the officer and the officer asked for a description of the man. The wife said, all right, well he's 35 years old and he's six foot four inches tall. He has dark hair. He has um, dark eyes. He has athletic build. He weighs about 185 pounds. He's soft-spoken and he's great with kids. And the next door neighbor, well, the next door neighbor protested and said, wait a minute, that's not right. Your husband is five foot eight and and he's overweight, and he's bald, and he has a big mouth, and, and he's mean to you and your children. At this, the wife replied, well, yeah, but who wants him back? <laughs> yeah, who wants him back, right? I want you to think about something for a minute. What would our world look like if it was not for sin? What would our world look like if it wasn't for sin's curse? Well, I can tell you one thing, Arkansas would not beat Tennessee. Can I get an amen from the volunteer fans out there, right? I can't say that about Florida and Georgia, not sure. But, hey, it is hard for us to grasp what life would be like if there was no such thing as sin. And if this world had not been affected by it. Now, a few weeks ago, we looked at a verse from Romans chapter 8, and it said that it was against its will that all creation was subjected to this curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to a day when it will join God's glorious children in freedom from death and decay. See, guys, we have no idea what difference it's going to make when there is no more sin, because that's all that we know. We, we've just gotten so conditioned to it, and we're so wearied by it. And we see the things that go on here on this earth, and we see how our earth is not evolving, it is devolving. And so whenever we think of heaven, we just equate it with escape. It's this idea that I've got to get out of here. I mean, 
If, if 2020, if this is what the rest of life is going to be like, if this is what's going to go on in our world, I just can't wait till I can escape it all. But what if God has something better in mind? What if God actually wants this world back? Not the way it is now, but the way that he intended for it to be. What if you could experience God's intent? What if you got to see Eden? See, a couple of weeks back, I challenged our rather vague and generic view of hope, and I, I reminded us that Jesus' bodily re resurrection was a watershed moment. It was this moment where it started to, to build the foundation of the essentiality of Christianity where our ultimate hope our ultimate hope is that we too will experience a resurrection promise. That just as Jesus was raised, that the promise then comes that we too will be raised. And we noted from Romans chapter 8 that God's glory is tied to his creation. And so I, I told you a few weeks back that perhaps God doesn't intend to discard or scrap or just throw away his good creation to death and annihilation. Perhaps he intends to redeem all of it just as he did as he plans with our physical bodies. So here's where we're going to pick up. And we're going to go through a lot of different scriptures. You're going to see a lot of them up here on the screen. There's going to come a longer passage that I'm going to say, hey, take out your Bibles, get out your phone, whatever, read it, because it's just a lot of stuff. And again, hang with me as we dive into this, all right? Because I think there's going to be something very worthwhile, especially when we get to the end. So we're going to pick up in Revelation 21, that great book that nobody likes to go visit. Revelation 21, it's in the back of your Bible. And here's what John wrote. He said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. You see, throughout Scripture, I believe that the promised future for God's people is not a non-earth, but a new earth. Just as humanity was made for the earth, humanity was made... It, I mean, it was made from earth. It was also, I think, made for the earth. Here's what the prophet Isaiah wrote. He said in Isaiah 45 and verse 18, For this is what the Lord says. God is the creator of the heavens. He formed the earth and he made it. He established it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. God's purpose was to live in an intimate fellowship with humanity on a good, curse-free earth. And the picture that Genesis paints is of an earth that was like heaven's backyard, where God would actually come and walk with humanity, Adam and Eve there, in the cool of the day. Now we understand that sin then destroys that. Theologically, we call it the fall. And ever since then, everything has just been all out of joint. But here's my question. Did the fall cause God to abandon his original purpose? Did God look at sin and like, well, I tried. I tried and it just didn't work. And now I've got to try something different. Again, you go back to Genesis and you might note that Eden was never destroyed. What was destroyed was humanity's ability to live there 
And we've been homesick. We've been nostalgic. We have been longing for Eden ever since because we long for a world where the relationship between the created of God and the God who created is one. That's what we want. We want things to be put back right again. And the reason that we don't get along now with one another and the reason that our world seems to just be falling apart, not just when it comes to the people who live on it, but with the, the globe itself and with all of the different things that you see going on, well, it's because things are not right between the created and the creator. Now, it's described all throughout the prophets that there is a world coming that, where God will once again have it as he originally purposed. In one of his first sermons, the Apostle Peter said this in Acts chapter 3. For Jesus must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. Now notice that Peter doesn't say Jesus must remain in heaven until he returns and God wipes everything out and annihilates everything. Now that's kind of the impression that I had when I was growing up, and it might be the same impression that maybe you sit here with today but Peter says that there is this fulfillment that's coming. There's a restoration that's coming, and it will all happen because the words that God spoke through the Old Testament prophets would be fulfilled. You see, in a way, the old prophets predicted the ultimate restoration movement. Another example of this can be found in Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 17 through 19. Which, by the way, you're going to notice is the exact same language that John borrowed in Revelation 21. Isaiah said, Talking for the Lord, look, I am creating new heavens and a new earth. And no one will even think about the old ways anymore. Be glad, rejoice forever in my creation. And the sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. You might also remember the encounter Jesus had with the young rich ruler in, in Matthew chapter 19. And how that man walked away from Jesus and he was sad. And the disciples of Jesus said, Lord, we have left everything in order to follow you and Jesus told them this in verse 28. Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will, will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And here's my point with these. Here's why we're looking at these passages. I think if we pay attention, we begin to realize that there is some basis for the Jewish expectation that when the Messiah came, he would establish an earthly kingdom because... Well, there were all these prophecies about the world being made right again. Now, when the Jews first heard these things, they thought that, look, there is this Messiah who's going to come, and he's going to set up this earthly kingdom, and, hey, this oppression that we're having from Rome is going to be gone, and, and things are going to get back to the good old days like they were when David was king, and it's going to be awesome. There's a reason they felt this way. You see, I, I hope that what you're seeing is that the doctrine regarding the restoration and the reclaiming of the earth, it's not just something that is simply speculation. It was something that was reinforced by the Old Testament prophets and teachings from both Jesus and from the apostles. Now, here's the big passage that I want you to open up your Bibles to. It's 2 Peter chapter 3. In 2 Peter chapter 3, and here Peter is addressing a tension that was going on between Christians and who believed that Jesus was indeed going to return one day and others who were mocking them saying, well, where is he? I mean, hey, you're talking about this Jesus and you're talking about this return, but, but what's going on? Now listen to, what, listen to what Peter says, beginning of verse 3. He says, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, 
What happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the time of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget, Peter writes, that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command, and he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up by fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as an unexpected thief, and the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything with it will be destroyed. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly life should you live looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along? On that day, he will set the heavens on fire, and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth that he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. Now, we're going to break some of this down, but the main thing I want you to see right here is that there is an eager anticipation for a new earth. The prophets predicted it. John saw a vision of it. Peter preached about it and said, look, this is something that's coming. And he said, well, where is all this going to be? Well, I think there's a lot of indication that um, you're kind of here now. Within this world, on this earth, within this cosmos. See, I don't think that God's original plan was a failed experiment. I believe scripture teaches us that the next appearing of the Lord Jesus will bring about the complete redemption of everything under the curse. Now now listen again to to Romans chapter 8 where it says, Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Now here are two questions I want you to think about. Think about this. How can creation have a hope if annihilation is its future? The Bible says creation is hoping for something that's better But if it's going to be annihilated, how can it have any hope? And second, when Paul talks about the pains of childbirth, doesn't that perhaps suggest that this present creation has a future? In other words, did God make the earth with the intent of abandoning it and disposing of it? I know we got some sharp Bible students who are here saying, wait a minute, we just read through this lengthy passage from the book of Peter. And didn't it say in there something about things being destroyed by fire? It did, but let me ask you. Is the fire that destroys the earth going to be punitive? That means a punishment. Or is it going to be purgative? Is it going to be something that cleanses and refines? And let me give you some reasons why I believe that God will one day refine by fire the raw materials of this earth, this universe, and give birth to a new and and glorious one. When you read in your Bibles... And it talks about a new earth. I want you to understand that that the Greek language has two words for new. One word means new in time. It means that it's brand new. It's, It's never existed. Another word means new in quality. It it means that there, there is something that is here now that was before, but now it is at a different level. 
Now look, we use this distinction all the time ourselves. You go and you renovate your kitchen, and then you call up your friends, and you say, hey, having some people over tonight, we would love for you to come and see our new kitchen. Now, now do you mean a kitchen that didn't previously exist? No, what you're referring to is a kitchen that just, it's just been given a new look. It's been updated. Now, now, that's just a physical example that we understand. Let me give you a spiritual one that maybe you haven't thought of before. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, we're told that anyone who is in Christ is a new, it says, creation. Guess what word is used for new? You're right, it's, it's the one that means quality. It's the same word there that the apostles use when they talk about a new earth. When you become a Christian, you didn't become a new human that never existed before, right? I mean, when you were baptized, you didn't pop up out of the water and everybody went, Whoa, who is that? Man, I've never seen them before. How did you do that? What a great magic trick. Let's try that. I mean, that's not what happened, right? You, you were the same person, but you were a new quality of person because of the Holy Spirit's work on you. So when you read in Scripture this idea of the new earth, it doesn't mean one that never existed. That wasn't the wording that was used. Rather, it means one that has been renewed. Now, also note how in this chapter, Peter compares the new earth with what happened during the flood. And he says, hey, don't you guys remember the first time God did this? And he used the word and he says that it was utterly destroyed. He utterly destroyed the world by water. And yet we understand and we know that God did not destroy the world with water. What is actually being talked about is that, well, he completely rid the earth of everything that was evil so that he could repopulate it with the righteous sons and daughters of God. And here what happens is, Peter used similar language. He uses similar language when he tells us that God is going to destroy this world with fire. He literally says that God is going to release and unbind. That's why when you're reading your, in your translation, it might say that the heavens dissolve. It's a word that means to release, to unbind, and I want you to think about it this way. Being released and unbound from the curse, God is going to prepare the earth to be re-inhabited by his sons and daughters. He's going to purge his creation that has been polluted by sin so that it is a new environment perfectly prepared for the perfected spirits and bodies of his people. In Romans chapter 8, Paul compares the redemption of our bodies to the redemption of all creation. Now, I emphasized this in an earlier lesson, that God is going to raise up our bodies, and we are going to be us, but we are going to be a glorious new us. And Paul clearly says that the same groaning that we human beings go through, that creation is going through as well. That's why you look in the gulf, and you see all the hurricanes, and you see all the different things that happen around this globe. It is this earth that is going through the pains of childbirth, longing to be what it was intended and created to be. The point being that the fate of creation is bound up in the fate of humanity. Now, it's interesting that our hymnology often surpasses our theology. Because whether you realize it or not, you've been singing about this idea a lot, especially around Christmas time. There's a song by Isaac Watts. You guys like to sing it, Joy to the World, right? And in that song, it says, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Now, here's the point. To conceive of either the fall or Christ's deliverance as encompassing less than the whole of creation is to compromise the biblical teaching of the radical nature of the fall or the cosmic scape of redemption. 
You see, if redemption does not go as far as the curse goes, then God has failed. You understand? If God's not able to redeem everything that has been touched by sin, then he has failed in his goal. Now, I also want you to consider that that if God has to completely to destroy his original creation, then on one, on one level it can be said that Satan has the last word. That Satan wins. We were told in 1 John 3 and verse 8 that Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil. And death is that last thing that is to be defeated. Resurrection is the overthrow of death. You see, God is the ultimate salvage artist. God loves to restore things to its original purpose. And what he has promised for you and for me, he promises to do for all of his creation. Because God has never surrendered his title deed to the earth. And he will remove Satan's hold over creation in a stunning affirmation of his own greatness. So, so yeah, I believe that the heaven that is now will somehow, at the second appearing of Jesus, make a dramatic move to, to this place, this realm, this world, this cosmos. And if you stop to notice all throughout the Bible, heaven and earth are are two separate entities. But when you finally arrive in Revelation 21, the dualism ends, and from that point on, heaven and earth, will they become one? Well, that's some of the things I see in Scripture. But understand, I don't see this as a salvation issue. I really don't even like that term. I mean, Jesus is the only salvation issue, right? We got that? You don't have to be right on what is going to be happening in heaven to enjoy the salvation that awaits you. And by the way, when I get to heaven and I'm planning on being there, not because of anything I've done, but because of the greatness of my Savior, if it doesn't turn out the way that I'm talking about, I'm not going to say, hey, in November of 2020, I preached that this was going to look different. And I am not staying here until you fix it the way that I preached it. All right, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to. And I hope you don't either. You know, what I am anticipating, though, what I've described to you, is something that's spectacular, is something that is filled with surprise, and is something that we will not be disappointed with. And we've got two more basic lessons that we're going to do in this series, and I'm going to use that time to tell you why I think that the implications of all this is so is so exciting because as one person put it the best thing in this life or the best things in this life are only souvenirs of Eden and appetizers of the new earth we have in our mouth a taste of what used to be and a hint of what is to come so you hung with me I hope now let me tell you why all this matters you know our world is filled with materialism and racism, and legalism, and every other kind of ism that you can think of. And this world is crumbling under the weight of sin's curse. It is not going to be cured if the Bible is to be believed until heaven and earth are one. And as believers in the resurrected Jesus, our lives right now are to bear witness of what will happen then.
the earth restored and Eden returned. And, and so every day, every day on this earth that you act justly and that you love mercy and that you walk humbly with your God, you announce, no, I mean, you shout from the rooftops heaven's claim on this world. You see, every time that you go and you choose love over hate, you're announcing God wins. Every time that you go and you choose healing over hurt, you say, God wins. And every time you choose respect over disrespect in this creation, you say, you know what? God wins. Because your life is giving proof to all those who are around you that the curse will not last, that Satan will not win, and that God's creation will live again. Guys, we can't imagine what that's going to be like. We can't imagine what life is like without sin. We can't imagine what this earth looked like before sin took control. But there's coming a day, and I don't know when, but there is coming a day when we will see Eden And when that day comes, we will declare like the old hymn, this is my father's world. In fact, you've already been singing about it when you've sung that hymn. The battle is not done. Jesus who died will be satisfied. And heaven and earth be one. Don't you want to go to the home for the soul? Will you join me in prayer? Father, there's a lot of things that we do not like about this world. We don't like the, the way in which this world causes us oftentimes to treat one another. We don't like the destruction that we see caused by the elements on this earth. And there are many things about this life that make us say, let's just get rid of it and, 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 and let's just get on with this heaven thing and, and let's just experience something else. I, I pray, Father, that you would give us a heart, though, for a heart for understanding how that you have not abandoned anything that you are looking forward to the day when all that you have created is redeemed and restored. And Father, can you give us a picture within our soul, something that helps us long and helps us anticipate what is to come so that we can be filled with a joy? And Father, can you, can you give us an opportunity just to live out right here and now what perhaps the coming heaven is going to look like. Give us that opportunity to choose love over hate. Give us the opportunity to choose healing over hurt. Give us the opportunity to, to be able to live out right here and right now just a piece of the future that you have in store for us. 
Father, we thank you for the fact that you have not abandoned us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice and for what that entails, not only for us personally, but, Father, for this entire created world. And, and God, if it doesn't turn out the way that I've talked about today, Father, help us to understand that we're not going to be disappointed because we're going to be with you. And that you need to be our focus now just as you will be then. Father, I hope that this time we've been in worship has reminded us of that. Through the songs, through the prayers, through the communion, that we've been able to focus ourselves better so that this week, with all the things that go on in this world, that we will not have our hearts and our minds be troubled. For we are focused on you and the home that you have prepared. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.